Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. North and South chapters 9 to 11. Now in this uh, series of chapters, uh, Mr Thornton comes for tea and in chapter 9, Mr Hale announces this uh, to his wife and Margaret. And again, there's a pattern here of Mr Hale making these executive decisions without consulting them and then just telling them what, when it's imminently about to occur. Um, so he says, oh, my dear, I've asked Mr Thornton to come to tea tonight. And Mrs Hale's reaction is, what in the world does the man want to come here for? Mrs Hale and Margaret don't have any sense of Mr Thornton as a social equal at all. Um, so the idea of him being a friend and dining with them takes him from a different level to simply being a pupil um, of Mr Hale. Um, Margaret comments, uh, he looks like a person who would enjoy battling with every adverse thing he could meet with enemies, winds or circumstances. And it's a flippant comment that she makes, but it's actually true considering his background, which uh, is developed a little bit further uh, in this chapter as well. Mr Hale says, I don't know that you would ever like him or think him agreeable, Margaret. He's not a ladies' man. Um, and this is quite funny, really, because obviously we know that the story is going to develop and the romance between Margaret and Thornton is going to develop later. Um, but at the time, Margaret says, I don't particularly admire ladies' men, Papa. Now, Margaret has to do a lot of practical work because they're still struggling. They haven't got um, another servant apart from Dixon. Uh, Margaret has to iron out all the caps and things ready for the visit. Um, and she jokes when she sits down to her mother that she was no longer Peggy, the laundry maid, but Margaret Hale, the lady. And obviously there's that contrast with, you know, what she thinks a lady should be like. And obviously doing these kind of household chores is not something a lady should be doing. And it sets off Mrs Hale in saying, you know, if anyone had told me when I was Miss Barrowford, one of the bells of the county, a child of mine would have to stand half a day in a little pokey kitchen, working away like a servant. And she obviously feels it keenly herself as well. Um, but Margaret shows in her sense of Mr Thornton uh, she says I don't suppose his education would fit him for much else and there's a sense in which um, she feels like it's almost ridiculous they go into all these lengths for someone who's not even a proper gentleman and then uh, Gaskell goes to Mr Thornton's house and contrasts um, the way that he's preparing for this uh, event as well and he tells his mother for the first time about Mrs Hale and Margaret. Um, this is the first time we meet Mrs Thornton, who's a really formidable character, John's mother. She's described as a large-boned lady, um, and she's strong and massive. And she sits in a grim, handsomely furnished dining room. She is a firm, severe, dignified woman, handsomely dressed in stout black silk. Um, and there's a Matthew Henry's Bible commentaries on the side. Now, Matthew Henry was a non-conformist, which I think reflects the fact that in Milton Industrial Place, you've got more people in the non-conformist churches than you have in the established church in the Anglican Church of England. You've also got a sense in which um, she's a very determined character 
um, and we find out that, you know, she's been through a lot of suffering and she has stood firm and persevered. But there's a lot to link Mrs Thornton with Margaret because like Margaret, they are both strong women. They are both quite stubborn in a lot of ways and both quite proud and severe. And Margaret and Mrs Thornton um, are going to conflict against one another throughout the novel and dislike each other. But that's mainly because they're so sim- similar. Now, whilst Margaret and Mrs Hale have been sort of discussing John Thornton's position as being inferior to theirs, the reverse is true in the way that Mrs Thornton refers to them. She says, um, why should you go, why should you dress to go and take a cup of tea with an old parson? So in her mind, her son, a wealthy manufacturer, is above the Hales and the Hales are not really worthy of his social acquaintance. He replies, Mr Hale is a gentleman and his wife and daughter are ladies. And in these terms, you know, being a gentleman, being a lady, there's that social distinction, that sense of uh, social status that, you know, John Thornton recognises their position. Mrs Thornton says immediately, take care you don't get caught by a penniless girl, John. And she's obviously concerned that if he falls in love with Margaret and asks Margaret to marry him, Margaret will grab onto him with both hands because he's of such a wealthy man. Um, and they're obviously in such poor, reduced circumstances. So she views this as a dangerous. John is going and developing a social friendship with Mr Hale and his family that could lead to something more with this daughter. So as soon as she hears there's a daughter... Um, who's a young lady, she begins to be concerned that John is in danger here. John, however, doesn't take her remarks very seriously. I'm not easily caught, mother. Uh, I don't believe anyone's ever given themselves that useless trouble. Um, and Miss, Mrs Thornton says, This Miss Hale comes out of the aristocratic counties, where, if all tales be true, rich husbands are reckoned prizes. And again, this serves to maybe contrast the North and South again, because I'm reminded of Jane Austen's novels. You know, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. The idea of, you know, Austen's writing from the South too, um, the idea that all young ladies do in the South is prime themselves to catch a good husband and to get married. Um, Whereas perhaps in the North, there is more sense of women as workers, women as more independent, perhaps and more spirited. So Mrs Thornton has her own stereotypes about girls of the South, just as perhaps um, the Hales have their stereotypes about people of the North. John Thornton says, the only time I saw Miss Hale, she treated me with a haughty civility, which had a strong flavour of contempt in it. She held herself aloof from me as if she had been a queen and I her humble, unwashed vassal. And so he he confesses here that he believes Margaret um, really despises him, that she's a queen above him. She looks down on him as kind of dirty servant uh, kind of person. Um, But Mrs Thornton sort of sees past this and says um what business had she a renegade clergyman's daughter to turn up her nose at you and and so by calling um 
Margaret, a renegade clergyman's daughter, is again reinforcing that Mr. Hale's decision to leave the church makes him a renegade, you know, someone who's a little bit um, jaded, tainted by association. And so who's Margaret to turn up her nose at John Thornton, this successful manufacturer? She says to herself, he's the noblest, stoutest heart I ever knew. I hate her. And so we have this conflict instantly that she hasn't even met Margaret yet. um, And she doesn't like the fact that she's turned her nose up at John already. Now, amidst this background of conflict in the North versus South, um, Mr Thornton leaves the house and was anxious not to be late. Um, He says he was anxious not to slight his new friend by any disrespectful unpunctuality. Both Thornton and Margaret show a lot of consideration to other people. Um, And this shows that perhaps underneath his roughness and his bluntness, John Thornton is quite a sensitive, considerate person. Um, And so when he goes into the dining room, a lot of time is spent describing it and how different it is from his own. We've learned in the following chapter that his household's pretty bare. It's expensively furnished, but it isn't comfortable. And what he really notices in this um, accommodation, which obviously is a lot poorer than his own, he notices the colouring, the chintz curtains, the chair covers, the vases, the books... Um, the the baskets of work and we've got a sense here in this environment of femininity and this is really interesting because Margaret whilst being very strong and powerful is also very feminine and this is a key thing that attracts John Thornton to her. John Thornton's mother is described in quite masculine ways, she's strong, she's massive, she's big boned Um, Whereas Margaret is soft, delicate and feminine and you can see her influence on the the house which immediately piques John Thornton's interest. He's also mesmerised by her arranging the tea, she's wearing a pink gown, arranging the teacups and her bracelets falling up and down her arm and he's mesmerised by the movement of of it. But then when she hands him his cup of tea, uh, it says that she does so with the proud air of an unwilling slave. So as he's reading the situation, he's reading the room, he's learning more about Margaret and attracted to her, he's equally getting these very strong signals from her that she really feels above him, uh, that he's beneath her, and that even in the act of serving him tea, she shouldn't even be doing that because she's better than he is. Now, we can see here that perhaps there's a sense of him being overly sensitive to Margaret's so-called contemptuousness because we learn as well that Margaret's head is aching, she's been ironing all day, she's tired and she's actually resolved to throw herself into the breach and basically make every effort so that Mr Thornton doesn't feel neglected. And so um, she is equally considerate, as Mr Thornton has been, to make sure that the tea works and um, and that he is uh, attended to and she equally is is looking at Mr Thornton for the first time in a bit more detail he has a, a tall massive frame straight brows deep set earnest eyes and a severe and resolved expression um, and 
even though he isn't traditionally attractive, Margaret does like his smile. And so the two of them are evaluating one another for the first time and physically they both seem to find one another attractive. However, both of them have this problem of misunderstanding the other and this is what's going to create conflict throughout their relationship. So Margaret eventually picks up on the conversation that her father's having with John Thornton where they're talking about the steam hammer and Mr Hale links this to the Arabian Nights. So in their conversation, they're both completely different and physically different. Um, In their conversation, there's a sense of industry and science meeting classical literature. And this is what Gaskell is all about, really. The idea of very different people, very different interests, coming together, sharing ideas on an equal playing field and a sense of unity and reconciliation through just having different ideas and being okay to believe different things. Um, and so she um, she listens to this conversation um, and picks up on it as, as, as interesting. And Thornton says, I would rather be a man toiling, suffering, nay, failing and successless here than lead a dull, prosperous life in the old, worn grooves of what you call more aristocratic society down in the South with their slow days of careless ease. One may be clogged with honey and unable to rise and fly. Now, what's interesting here is that he says he's going to choose to live in the north he chooses that kind of hard-working attitude of um, grinding and working to get what you need to feed your family and to be successful and he looks with disdain at the south as being this kind of leisurely aristocratic um, families and Margaret is really easily offended by this. She cuts into the conversation and says, you do not know anything about the South. If there's less adventure or less progress from the gambling spirit of trade, there is less suffering also. And in this description of the gambling spirit of trade, it's a pejorative word. That means a negative way of describing it. She says, I see men here going about in the streets who look ground down by some pinching sorrow or care. There is not that terrible expression in their countenances of a sullen sense of injustice, which I see here. Um, And so she sees in the North a pinched hardness of suffering that she says she didn't see in the South. And then John Thornton says, may I say you do not know the North? And then um, it's interesting because he says this with an inexpressible gentleness in his tone as he saw that he had really hurt her so there's a sense in which they're both um at loggerheads because of the different places they come from the different cultures that they're in um and mrs hale says you will allow milton is a much more smoky dirty town than you will ever meet with in the south and then mr thornton makes a joke about being bidden by parliament to burn our own smoke um which refers to the town improvement act of 1847 um and mr hale points out that thornton himself had altered his chimneys to consume the smoke better um and then thornton says mine were altered by my own will before parliament meddled with the affair 
And so he's referring to here how London and, and Parliament make laws which then affect, you know, the industrial north. Um, but they don't seem to always really see what effect it's going to have. And then um, he says, I should have waited to be informed against and fined and given all the trouble in yielding that I legally could. In other words, he doesn't want to conform easily. Um, if someone in London makes a law that he doesn't necessarily agree with, he's not going to go out of his way to follow it. Um, and he talks a little bit about how the North is its own place. Um, and this helps us to understand a little bit more about where he's coming from. Um, he says, 70 years ago, raw crude materials came together. Men of the same level, as regarded education and station, took suddenly the different positions of masters and men. Uh, the rapid development of what might be called a new trade gave those early masters enormous power of wealth and command. And he's referring to when Sir Richard Arkwright uh, creates the first mechanical spinning frame and you've got the, the, the first generation of the Industrial Revolution establishing these northern towns, establishing these industries and suddenly very ordinary people were thrust into extreme wealth um, and the impact that that then had. Um, he says, I only name such things to show what almost unlimited power the manufacturers had, and his sense of justice and his simplicity were often utterly smothered under the glut of wealth. And Thornton talks about the tyranny that they exercised over their work people, um, crushing human bone and flesh under their horses' hooves without remorse. Um, so he talks about the early days of the Industrial Revolution and the early manufacturers and how, yes, they were ruthless, they did make people suffer, and he obviously doesn't agree with that. Then he says, The power of masters and men became more evenly balanced. Now the battle is pretty fairly waged between us. We will hardly submit to a decision of an umpire, much less to the interference of a meddler with only a smattering of the knowledge of the real facts of the case, even though that meddler be called the High Court of Parliament. Is there a necessity for calling it a battle between the two classes? asked Mr Hale. So, interestingly enough, John Thornton views the battle as going on between the masters and the men, and that's going to be a key theme in the novel. And Mr Hale sort of shrinks from this term of a battle. And Thornton says, it is one of the great beauties of our system that a working man may raise himself into the power and position of a master by his own exertions and behaviour. Um, and this is a the big part of Thornton's belief is the self-made man, the idea that, you know, you work hard um, and you get to where you are. Um, and Margaret, again, seems to willfully misunderstand him. She says, you consider all who are unsuccessful in raising themselves in the world, from whatever cause, as your enemies. And so John Thornton feels compelled to tell them the true story of his own background. Um, and even though he's a little piqued by her haughty disapproval, he explains that 16 years ago his father died and he had to be taken out of school, finish his education and become a man. Um, he gets a job in a draper's shop um, and they have only 15 shillings a week. Um, and he says, this taught me self-denial. Um, so they, didn't, they, didn't, they went without, they put some money aside um, and this is why he looks at self-indulgent sensual people across the classes, whether, you know, 
working class people or upper class people with contempt for their poorness of character because he had to struggle through now um it, he says about the the point of education and mr hale is saying you know didn't didn't homer get you through those dark days and of course thornton laughs at the absurdity of this um the classics were no preparation for the life that thornton had to lead none at all he repeats twice and he says i was too busy to think about any dead people with the living pressing alongside of me neck to neck in the struggle for bread and it just shows how far removed mr hale is in his sort of ivory tower from real life now just before thornton leaves there's another incident a misunderstanding between him and margaret which really seals this kind of conflict between them and it's that mr thornton makes an advance to say goodbye to margaret and puts out his hand now in margaret's usual social circles in london gentlemen would never shake hands with a lady it's quite a rough thing to do and so margaret just bows her farewell and then suddenly realizes that he put his hand out and then had to draw it back again so she feels awkward about that because it was a genuine misunderstanding on her part mr thornton believes that she deliberately refused to take his hand so as he leaves he says to himself a more proud disagreeable girl i never saw and so even though they find one another attractive there's a lot of barriers here between them now and misunderstandings that will characterize their relationship as it develops now in the next chapter chapter 11 um, mr hale tells margaret and her mother a little bit more about john thornton's background um he he says um he was worried that margaret was going to leave the room when when she heard the truth about him and to be fair to margaret she says um i really like that account of himself better than anything else he said everything else revolted me from its hardness but he spoke about himself so simply and mrs hale um says that she was very shocked and she wondered if he was referring to the workhouse about his father and mr hale explains that his father uh, speculated wildly failed then killed himself because he could not bear the disgrace no one came forwards to help the mother and this boy and so john thornton worked in the draper's shop worked 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 and then finally came back to Milton years later and went quietly round to each of his father's creditors, paying them the money back, even though by that point the creditors had long since given up ever seeing it again. There's a real sense of dignity, of doing the right thing and duty here about the Thorntons. Um, and it says it was done very silently and quietly, but all was paid at last. So they wouldn't owe anyone anything and all of his wealth now is his own um, and it's, it's built entirely through his own hard work. And Margaret says that really is fine. What a pity such a nature should be tainted by his position as a Milton manufacturer. And their father asks why is he tainted and she says by testing everything by the standard of wealth. I do think Mr Thornton a very remarkable man but personally I don't like him at all. And Mr Hill says, I don't set him up for a hero, <laughs> but he does like him indeed. So this um, sort of background to John Thornton helps us to understand his dogged perseverance, his character, and I think raises our admiration for him considerably.
Now, the chapter goes on to, to discuss um, Margaret's worries about her mother's health. It seems that she is talking in secret to Dixon about her health um, and praying for strength to endure bodily suffering. Um, and then Margaret meets Bessie again, who has been slightly offended that having said she will call on them, Margaret hasn't actually done it yet. Um, father says, you're just like the rest of them. It's out of sight, out of mind with you. So... Um, Margaret goes back with Bessie and and sees how ill Bessie is, um, struggling to breathe. She's clearly very ill. And Bessie also quotes the scriptures a lot, like Revelation 21. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. Which looks um, to the sort of time when she's going to die. And she believes that that will be finally the end to her suffering. Nicholas comes back into the house and obviously finds Margaret visiting Bessie um, and they have this kind of religious discussion. Margaret's trying to tell Bessie not to wish her life away by wanting to die Um, and Nicholas has a very different attitude. Uh, He says, she's bad enough as it is with her dreams and methody fancies and her visions of cities with golden gates, precious stones, but if it amuses her, I let it be. Surely, said Margaret, facing round, you believe in what I said, that God gave her life? And Nicholas says, I believe what I see and no more. And so Nicholas is sort of down to earth realism, if you like, um, ties in with this debate in the Victorian era of faith, science, what do we see, what we don't see, conscience. All of this is the background to the story. He says... A man must speak out for the truth, and when I see the world going all wrong, I say, leave this talk about religion alone, set to work on what you see and know. And his sort of work-hard philosophy um, is actually going to tie in a lot with John Thornton's own viewpoints as well. Now, Margaret's deeply affected by seeing up close the poverty around her, um, the conditions of, of Bessie's life, um, and she feels oppressed by it. Um, and then um, Mr Hale, at the end of the chapter, announces that Mrs Thornton is going to visit them. He says, I fancy Mrs Thornton is as haughty and proud in her way as our little Margaret here is in hers. And that solidifies the contrast between Mrs Thornton and Margaret and in fact the similarity that's going to form more conflict in the novel. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.